0: Welcome back to the What You Were More Podcast. Today, I am joined with a standing co-host, Mr. Alex Stewart. It's our third show in a row here, where we're actually just uh, so much to talk about from the Silicon Valley Bank situation, Signature Bank, First Republic Bank, and the what we're talking about is all of the terms and all the things that are being said in the news. And there's just a lot of things to clear up. And I know in the last two episodes, we went a full deep dive on how we got here, right. what's happened. Um, a little bit about future impacts and then kind of coupled that with the federal reserves you know decision and what they decided to do but you made a great point post-show is, hey, listen, we threw a lot at the audience, like a whole oh, yeah. lot. Might not be a bad idea just to break some of that down and take our time and explain some of these things as they're hearing more that comes out from the news to kind of help them, you know, decipher what's being said and, and more importantly, understand it in a deeper dive at a maybe a slower pace than what we did the last two episodes. So thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, yeah. I think that we've seen a lot
1: of fancy words being thrown out, and at the end of the day, this is still a very simple concept. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if people related to their own finances – The way we're gonna talk about it, I think they'll get, they'll be able to understand hey, like, hey, you just make bad investments, like, eventually you lose money. It's gonna be bad,
0: right? (laughs) Right. So you know, as we kind of dive into this here, you know, there's a couple of things coming out upon this collapse, if you may, for both institutions. But what we're finding is there's an underlying problem. There's a there's an iceberg underneath this that's kind of happening on this this tipping point that we keep talking mm-hmm. about, and that's that a lot of banks are holding what we consider to be not want to say toxic assets, but assets that are essentially losing money. Right. And and the only way they don't lose money is if they're held to maturity. And some of these assets can't be held to maturity because of some of the liquidation problems that's happening.
1: Yeah. And so just to simplify that with it held to maturity and and unrealized and realized, all that, those are probably good terms to start with. So sure. held to maturity, the idea is if, if I said, Hey, I want to buy a 20 year bond, mm-hmm. I want to invest my money in a 20 year treasury that's saying, well, I'm, I'm planning on holding it for 20 years, right? right. So no matter what happens to the market between now and year 19, What I'm going to make this amount of money because it's set for 20 years. But the reality is there's not many people holding for 20 years, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's the reality. I mean, you know, that's why bonds are typically bought – 10 years maybe, and it's kind of hedged and also packaged together with a lot of shorter-term investments um, to offset that. And In the particular cases that we're looking at right now, there's a lot of longer-term notes that have been purchased.
1: Yeah, meaning banks are investing in the long-term because, specifically, there was no interest before, right? Everybody remembers in 2020, your checking account made zero. Uh, All of the interest rates around the entire world, essentially, were pushed so far down through all the stimulus that happened that in order for banks to try to make a profit, mm-hmm. to do something profitable with the money that you gave them to lend them, they had to go buy these long-term investments. Right. And what are those subject to?
0: I mean, the long-term investments are subject to the Federal Reserve rates, you know, as the right. Fed fund <laughs> there's there's interest rate. rates, right? <laughs> and as they increase rates, those assets that you bought, those notes that you bought, devalue um, at the rate in which the Federal Reserve's raising the rates. And that's because if we were to go out and
1: say you owned a bond and it was paying 4%, but the market's paying 6 who would want your bond at 4%, right? Right, so
0: I have to sell it at a discount. Right. So I have to sell it at, at, at a loss, at a haircut, if you may. And that might be, you know, 70 cents on the dollar. It may be 80 cents, could be 30 cents in some of these cases. You know, some of them got really devalued. And so that's a challenge uh, in this world that we're seeing that's kind of unraveling on the banking side of things. And I know Jerome Powell and I know president, you president know, and the administration want to tell you the banking system. It's, it's great. What they're really telling you is that we're well, hey, we're gonna back whatever we gotta back to make it great. But there's you know, there's quite a few things that are kind of unraveling underneath the scenes that don't make it that great.
1: Yeah. And so on so, the way down, it's a good thing, right? right? Because if you owned all this these investments that had these high rates, so you're right. making seven percent and then all of a sudden rates go down to four your investment at 7% is now worth more, right? Because correct. you can't get that anywhere in the that's market. Correct. All you can get is 4%. That's right. All right, I think that's a simple concept we wanna make sure we illustrate because all these banks essentially bought low and now are forced to, right? Uh, or well, it was vice versa. They bought high and now they're forced to sell low, uh, but they haven't been forced to sell yet. And that's why this is sort of the iceberg under the water sort yeah, of. Yeah, and know.
0: that's exactly what's happening because I mean, as we talked about in the last episode, a deposit's a liability. I have to find a way to take a portion of that deposit, what we call where uh, banks are fractional institutions. And what I mean by that is they only have to keep a fraction of the actual deposit on hand. The other portion of that fraction, they have to go take and find a way to make money off of that. Because I can't pay you as a depositor money if I'm not making more money than what I'm paying you. That's bad business, and that's how banks make money. That margin's very slim. In some cases, I have to find a way to lend that money out. And in most cases, that's what banks choose to do. They want to lend money in the form of mortgages, SBA loans, car notes, et cetera, small business lending, you know, whatever it is. When the market has captured what 2020 and 2021 produced, which were some of the lowest history, uh, excuse me, lowest interest rates on history, most people are like, hey, I'm good with what I got. You know, I don't necessarily need to go get or refinance or, or you know, further in debt myself and lose that that rate that I secured. So then the banks go, well, okay, I still have a commitment to you as a depositor. Where am I gonna go make that money? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'll I'll go put it in a safe place with small margins where I can make a difference between what I'm paying you. And that's how we saw so many banks make their way over to the mortgage backed security market and also to the notes that we see on those 10 year notes that they forward committed to.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I know we we both have a wall street journal article pulled up mm-hmm. to help us reference some things. And, um, really this trouble didn't start until basically the end of 2021, right? Cause that's when the rates started to tick up and could this go away? You think if rates went back down?
0: Uh, It would take a significant swing for them to come back down. I mean, we're not talking like a quarter adjustment. Like, you got to think they would have to come down to the value in which these were actually bought. And some of these were bought in, you know, 1.25, 1.5, 2.0 for a 10-year note. We're we're currently sitting at 3.64 as we have this conversation. Mm -hmm. So there's a significant difference in the value of what they purchased at to what it is today. But I did want to say someone might be going, well, why in the heck did they buy these if they knew rates were going to go up or be increased? I would say that there's a term that we talked about earlier, the hold to maturity. As long as they kept that for the maturity, the term of that actual note. Well, that's just a category, right? They're they're essentially
1: saying we own this and we've currently got it categorized as we're going to hold it until it's done.
0: But my point is, as long as they hold it for the Mm -hmm. term of that note, they're guaranteed to get their money back. And I think that gets missed in this, in this whole conversation where people are like, well, why would they buy 10-year notes? I don't understand that. Well, because it's, it's a risk-free – obviously it's not, but essentially it's backed by the federal government, meaning that you may not make a lot of interest. But if you buy $10 million worth of 10-year notes, at the end of that term – you're going to at least get your 10 million back. You may not get interest made on that, but you're guaranteed the initial investment back. And I think that gets lost in this conversation because a lot of you know newscasts and sources and outlets are like this was this was so dumb. How did they not see that coming? And I think our last episode we talked about the stress test. You know, there's tests that the FDIC implements on banks known as stress tests mm-hmm. where they try to stress your assets and your liabilities, and then see if your, if your bank can handle any type of, you know, let's consider these words stress that you put on this, this basically portfolio you have, right? right. How are your ratios going to look? Are you underperforming? And so those stress tests were just unfortunately, they weren't accurate in the manners in which they were stressing that three-year plan. They were using a three-quarter rate hike over three years when we had that three of those over three different FOMC meetings. So it wasn't it wasn't a good test. It wasn't a good implication of what's going on, meaning that you have three different hikes of three of 0.75. That's roughly what 2 and a quarter to mm-hmm. the system. Well, that's a lot different to your investment on these 10-year notes than 75 basis points over 3 years, right? Deteriorates that investment at a much greater term. And so I think the stress test was flawed and we talked about that. But So,
1: so it's just uh, maybe another way to explain this. If, if you're standing up and you have a small guy come and push on you mm-hmm. and they claim that that's a stress test to see if you fall over, you're saying what they should have done is had the rock come push on you and see if <laughs> yeah. you fall over, right? So you
0: fall over, right? Right. And, and that's exactly kind of a great analogy of how it's going to work. And that's exactly what happened. Um, just a poor test to kind of indicate what could happen. But I did want to say a lot of banks were doing what signature in Silicon Valley and even the First Republics, they're all doing it. Um, And so the Federal Reserve came and said, hey, listen, we'll we'll do a collaborative, like essentially swap or buyback program. And what we just described, the Federal Reserve saying, we will make you whole on some of these, most of these that were purchased in 2020, 2021, and 2022. We'll make you whole on everything. You don't have to wait to the term. We'll go ahead and do it now. Mm -hmm. And in turn, you'll pay us back, but we're going to go ahead and get your balance sheet in line And the reason they want to get it in line is because on that fractional deposit that I'm talking about, if a bunch of depositors come back and they start wanting their money, I have to have the ability to give it to them. But if it's tied up in these held to maturity assets, Mm -hmm. Well, you have to to
1: realize the loss, meaning you have to actually sell what you've invested in and it's, it's very much underwater. You've got a huge loss on it to be able to give the money back and that's- Part that's of the where problem the issues of what we start
0: saw. To arise. Yeah, that's where the issues start to arise. You know, as we take a look, again, Silicon Bank was not the only one doing that. I mean, if you look across the entire banking system, it's literally almost every bank is in some position like that. And that's why I think the Federal Reserve said, hey, listen, we'll, we'll do a temporary buyback swap program because we can't have this run, if you may, happening at other banks. I mean, if you have one run like you did at Silicon Valley Bank and you can stop it, And you can correct it Mm -hmm. that was a oh what were those guys thinking over there what were those execs doing Mm -hmm. if you have it at two and then you have it at three you have a contagion is what they call it and that's Mm -hmm. all of a sudden a domino effect that starts happening and it's panic as pure panic setting into the system so that's why you have to have this buyback swap program available to get these other regional banks that are more in jeopardy than your big power five or power ten banks Mm -hmm. you have to get them whole to where if they have a run people can come and say, I need my money. And they're like, Hey, no problem. We got you. the first time they say no, that's where the problem is going to happen.
1: Well, and the only way to really avoid this would, would you agree that it would be to say, okay, you deposit your money with me. I will give you no interest, but your money will stay in my vault.
0: Is that, is that the only way that we would have avoided this? No, no. Because then the bank, I mean, the bank wouldn't make any money at that point. So I would say that that wouldn't work because then the bank would end up shutting its doors because they've got to pay, you know, team members, they've got to pay other obligations, that wouldn't have worked out. That's why you have to have a fractional deposit system. I think what would have caused this to be better is if there were more mortgage lending taking place, more SBA lending taking place, more other loans that are longer term, higher interest Mm -hmm. taking place to offset what I would either give you or not give you to have that money in the vault. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge is that as the Federal Reserve wants to tighten the system... And that's what they're doing right now. They want a quantitative tightening. That's been their kind of their, their desire, if you may. Mm-hmm. Because if they can slow the supply of money inside of the system, that's how they want to fight inflation. The The offset of that is in doing such, you're raising short-term interest rates, which mm-hmm. are negatively impacting the portfolio of these banks. And they've been warned against that. Mm-hmm. And then you're also squeezing the money supply, which in turn de-incentivizes banks to lend money out. So the remedy is actually... It's not there because you're doing all the things to cancel what would normally be this 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 remedy in the situation. Banks don't have the affordability to do um, exactly that, and then you couple that with fear or pandemonium, if you may. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a bad that's a bad formula. It's a recipe for two banks collapsing. Is what that is.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It, it's it's interesting that it feels like people can foresee this, but I think you and I both know that the other aspect of this is. Uh, Just like in the mortgage industry, there are rules that are written for this and Mm -hmm. we operate under those rules. And as long as we're following those rules, that is what it is. That's the, the name of the game. And I feel like banks are in this similar position where, again, these regulators say, well, these are what you need to do. So you do these things and then... Hey, I complied with what you asked me to do. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and I think what you're referring to is the Dodd-Frank Act, because the Dodd-Frank Act in 2008 had a lot of things built into it. I mean, we could could probably take up a whole season of what was in the Dodd-Frank Act and still is in there. But one of those particular rules you're referring to was Mm -hmm. the fact that banks, the way they report the hold to maturity that we just referred to and explained, anything that's been marked hold to maturity on the balance sheet – you don't report those losses, those unrealized losses, as they mm-hmm. call them, because it's not realized because as long as I hold it to the maturity date, I'm guaranteed to get that money back. Mm-hmm. And so you got to ask yourself, well, why in the hell would they put that in the Dodd-Frank Act? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Well, what was going on in 08? We had a financial crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And so the government wanted to encourage banks to invest in into the treasuries. They wanted to encourage banks to invest into the United States government. <laughs> so what better way to do that than to say, "Ha, huh, let's come up with this new balance theory to where if you do it, we're guaranteed, we're always guaranteed to get our money back on anything we put into the, the treasury, if you may. But now if, if things get bad, we're not going to make you report the losses. Well, what does that help? That helps stock prices. Mm-hmm. What else does that help? Investors on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. What was the one thing they were trying to correct in 2008?
1: Uh, yeah, they, were trying, to, they yeah, were trying to get fix Wall fix that, Street, right? right. <laughs> they
0: were trying to get it right. So what better way to do that than to say, hey, put your money over here in this safe haven. We got your back. But by the way, we don't, we're going we're gonna to move these rates, right, one way or the other. These bonds may yield or may not yield or these notes may or may not yield. But the reality is at maturity date, we're going to get you the money you put in. And yep. what better way to incentivize that than saying as long as you market hold to maturity versus available for sale. Those are the two ways you would mark those right now, AFS or HTM. But as long as it's marched, excuse me, marked this hold to maturity, mm-hmm. we're going to give you a pass on any type of unrealized gain loss. And that worked for years. Why? Because interest rates went backwards and got down into the zeros. And so anything that was bought during that time gained significant value. Mm-hmm. Well, the flip side of that, here we are now, when we're starting at zero, and mm-hmm. we can only go up to fight inflation. Mm-hmm. And that math doesn't really work towards the, the investment theory that they wanted to do in 2008. Thank you so much for
1: choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get
0: right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people.
1: Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor.
0: All right, now back to the podcast.
1: Yeah, it's interesting on this Wall Street Journal article, one of the headline numbers that uh, stood out to me that I know is what caught my eye and and brought this article up to all of us is uh, that there is an estimate that there is 1.7 trillion in unrealized losses on banks' balance sheets. Yeah. Now, uh, it's funny. I, I sent out a newsletter to my subscribers at the Market Distillery, and to quantify one thing, it was thousands of millions. And I had to—I almost texted you to say, "Quinn, I need you to help help me understand what this actual number is. If it's a hundred thousand millions, how what actually is that? That's got to be a big number. That's only a billion, hundred yeah, billion. 100 billion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one point seven trillion would be one. Thousand. thousand billions, yeah. yeah, right. That's correct. So it's one thousand billions, which is a whole lot of millions. Yeah, I mean, w- this is massive. That's why I think we're, you know, th- why are we doing three episodes on this, and why is it? Because cool. this is so significant correct. that we're trying to understand it and trying to help everybody else understand it, not to create fear or panic, but just to have an idea what's. I mean, two thousand eight. You rewind to that. Like, I feel like we had to wait until the book came out wait right. until the big short was released yeah. <laughs> to actually get an idea of what happens. But right now data is so available and, and we're in this new era where we can actually kind of see what's happening live that, that that's
0: incredible. Yeah. You know, when I take a look at that 1.7 trillion um, the, and, and that's, that's according to the new university of New York or New York university professor that did a study on this. The reality is this is that that is a ton of money. The FDIC you know, if you may, the, just to put in perspective, the FDIC's insurance pool, that fund that everyone keeps referring to, that the banks are going to have to pay more into, whether it's mm-hmm. a one-time fee or they actually spread it out, that's only $183 billion. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money. but in small compared to $1.7 Yeah, the $1.7 that's not even remotely close. And so that's another reason I think the Federal Reserve had to step in with the Treasury you know, with with the authority of the, of the president and, and Janet Yellen and say, listen, we gotta make all these depositors whole. We have to have a buyback program because we're literally sitting on a house of cards right now. Because if for some reason another bank has a run we're going to see significant issues such as what we're seeing right now. And we started to see signs of that at First Republic. And then what happens is it usually bleeds into overseas, too, because what's our problem becomes their problem, and what's their problem becomes our problem. As much as we try to avoid it, that's how the financial system works. You saw the likes of Credit Suisse, and then you saw the likes of Deutsche Bank, and you saw people stepping in to help them. And whether, whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing to do, you've got to stop that contagion, as they're referring to, because that domino effect... You know, if we're, we're probably not even addressing the fact how many of these exact same notes are held by foreign banks. There's a lot of foreign participation that takes place in the U.S. Treasury in the form of other countries and other banking systems buying those notes.
1: Because guess what they had in Europe? That's correct. We didn't have negative rates. They had negative rates. Right,
0: right. They were even more
1: incentivized to go find zero was a great number for them because it wasn't negative.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're gonna give me one and a quarter sold. And so they have the same problem in those banking systems on their asset portfolios that make up the same thing that we have here. And so we can't be naive enough to think that that's not an issue that's going on over there. And by the way, our inflation, yeah, it's at 6.4, I believe, around mm-hmm, there. 600. Yeah, and in and the U.K., it's 10.4 right now.
1: Yeah. Do you so, feel like this is a little bit of like as long as we can run faster than the other people, yeah, the bear will get them yeah, instead of us?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I also think this is um, a perfect example. You know, we've said this. This is probably the third time we've said this, but this is an example of fishing with dynamite. I mm-hmm. can't stop saying that enough mm-hmm. because any time you fish with dynamite – Something is going to come up. It may be a you know maybe a grouper, it may be a red snapper, but when a well comes up, mm-hmm. that's when you start to go. Wait a minute, wait, well, we got a big problem. And I mean, don't you know environmentalist stuff aside, I'm <laughs> using this as an analogy here. Wells come up, that's an issue. Everyone starts to notice. You can't miss it. Yeah. And in this case, some of the wells are the banking system, Mm -hmm. you know, and now the European banking system. Right. And when the central banks have to step in, that's not a real good sign. Right. Right. And I think Jerome Powell was even caught back a little bit yesterday, excuse me, last week in his press conference when he was asked, you know, is this something you're going to continue to do for all the banks? Right. You know, and he really deferred and said, you know, was asked, what advice are you giving to Congress to avoid this from happening again? And his response was, "I, I don't really give advice to Congress. And I'm like- Well, that was the craziest damn thing I ever heard because you testify in front of them about every six months. And then you also talk to them every month about what's going on. So it sounds like to me you advise him a lot. And he just kind of really was caught off guard and dodged the question altogether because the reality is what the Federal Reserve is going to do is at all costs, at all costs, they will keep printing. They will keep supporting the banking system Mm -hmm. because everything aside, they're not going to lose that. Mm -hmm. And that just means they're going to further add to the inflation problem that we continue to talk about adding more money into the supplies.
1: Yeah, a, a colleague of mine sent me another Wall Street Journal article, and it said, like all central banks, the f- the Federal Reserve was designed to make money for the government from its monopoly on issuing currency. So normally, obviously, they buy these bonds, they give money to the mm-hmm. the economy, and they actually make the money on the investments because guess what, when you print the money, it's like an infinity profit margin, right? Correct. Because it was never existing. Uh, this This had, as of September 22, they have lost $42 billion the Federal Reserve has lost $42 billion on these investments of basically buying off these debts right. that are not worth anything. That's only going to go up because that doesn't even include anything that we're talking about now because that's from September of 2022. Right. Um, it, it is very interesting because also it seems like the solution to this, which is getting interest rates back down, well, leaves us at the same position we were before we got into this, right? I mean, yeah. what, what, do you, what do we do from here?
0: Yeah, you know, I think the reality is the Federal Reserve... When they raised it that quarter, that was more of a head fake, and it was up to them to say, hey, listen, we're not going to give up on what we're trying to do, which is address inflation, and we don't want to look like we're weak and that we're ready to back down. But by doing it a quarter and then the commentary that followed is exactly what they're going to do. You just saw a sign of them saying, we realize there's an issue. We're going to hit the pause. We're going to do it on the next run and you're also recognizing that if they go backwards if they start to reduce rates we're already in quantitative easing the minute they put money back into that the second part of that is reducing the rates and i think there's a standstill where it's like okay um, We know, I heard him say this the other day. They had a, you know, we always have core inflation. Mm -hmm. They now have something they're looking at called super core inflation. I mean, they talk, hey, you know what? We're just going to keep moving the goalposts as far as we can here. But the super core inflation, I really think has them kind of, uh, this this belief that they have it under control right now because if you strip out all the things they strip out to get to this super core they're at like 3% inflation they're not at this you know and, and they really believe that that's the metric they need to focus on so that's why I do believe they're going to hit this pause button and I think they they wanted to send that signal and the reason I say that is because Powell said we want to make sure we didn't shock the system and that we've been able to kind of you know tip our hat and show you or basically let people know what we're, our, our plans and our intentions are and mm-hmm. that's the way Of saying that, hey, listen, we're we're probably hitting the pause button here, Mm
1: -hmm. and I think
0: that's just equally as dangerous as going backwards and maybe reducing a quarter or whatever. So, what has to happen here, Um, Alex? You know, if I had the answer to that, you know, I think you and I would be sitting in different positions. But I think what has to happen is this: I think the banks that are in critical positions right now, Mm -hmm. I think the depositors need to understand that making a run on the banks a bad idea. That if you want to move your unless you're first. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the reality is this. There's no reason to panic and say, so, hey, I need to move my right. money. Your money right. is safe at, at the banking system, and the Federal Reserve just showed you why, uh, along with the U.S. Treasury. So, I don't think there's any worry about there. I think the buyback or the swap program, the Federal Reserve, I think almost every bank needs to take advantage of that that is in a position to do it. I mean, if you take a look at some of these banks that we talked about in our last episode, some of them desperately need to make that, that swap position with well, – with yeah, the Federal Reserve, which we have
1: rate. seen, by the way, the the numbers for the um, uh, lending mm-hmm. that comes out, the primary lending, right? So the mm-hmm. first week that this came out, they rolled it out, and there's like 153 billion dollars worth of of money borrowed. Uh, we did another 110 the following week. So
0: right. there's a significant amount of participation happening Correct. for sure. I think the markets need to quit guessing. What's going to happen and building it in? I think we need to quit trying to think the Federal Reserve has telegraphed what's going to happen mm. and that you can just build it in whether you're building it in pricing, you're building it in the stock, whatever you're doing in the equities. Stop trying to build in what you think they're going to do and let it happen and react to it and don't try to price it in. Because I think when you do that, that's when we get false signals mm-hmm. and that's when we see these rampant swings that we're seeing. I mean, we're seeing the Treasury jump 14 to 16 points a day. For the record for our audience, that doesn't happen. Like two, three, four, five, eh, that's normal. 16, that's a big swing. And I'm talking 16 up and 16 down. So the last couple of days, last week we were at 24 and 25. Like that shouldn't be happening. That's because the market's pricing in future expectations. And then when it doesn't happen, you have these huge swings, right? Add to that some volatility amongst the banking system. And that is a, that is a big windfall on the, on the 10-year treasury. You shouldn't see that. The other thing is this. What we're experiencing right now is that if your bank... Is not paying you, let's say three and a half, four percent right now, comfortably on any type of account that you have. You have depositors that have very large deposits at these banks. I'm talking like millions, whether it's in payroll companies, their the payroll portion of their company, excuse me, or just their own personal, you know, being there. They're pulling their deposits and they're saying, "Well, I'm going to go invest this in, you know, either a a bank that's going to give that to me, mm-hmm. or b directly to the treasuries because it's short term, the ninety day." And the six month or short short term T bills. You know? yeah. And so the challenge is as they've risen these rates at the at the rate in which they've done for the Federal Reserve by constant raising, they've incentivized people like you and I to go pull our money from a bank and invest in treasuries. Well, that's also causing run on the banks. Yeah. Right. Because if I'm going in there saying I need my money and you're going in there saying you need your money, well, that's forcing the banks to liquidate some of these hold to you know, hold to maturities that are available for sales that they had. And that's that's hurting the system as well. Yeah. So getting those rates down getting those short-term rates down, that's going to help. We need to get that to get done as well. So it stops, you know, incentivizing people to pull money and take it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the last thing I'll say is, this is from a commercial lending standpoint. mm -hmm. I think that's the market that's potentially, um, I don't want to say in danger, but I think could potentially experience the bulk or the brunt of what just happened. Because commercial real estate was already struggling. I mean, there's a lot of people that may argue with me and say commercial real estate's back, but we still have a huge work from home force right now. Yep. And that doesn't appear to be coming back at a rapid rate. It appears to be, okay, this is going to be the normal for the amount of people that are working at home. I think it's like 18%. Mm-hmm. That appears to be what it's going to be the standard now. Well, that 18% used to be in the office. Right. You used to have space for that 18%. Now we've got vacancies. Right. So you already have landlords that are sitting around scratching their head going, okay, I- I've got to lower either my rent roll, you know, that the, the cost per square foot to attract more renters, or I'm gonna have this this available space that's just vacant and sitting here, and that's affecting rent rolls. Well, when you affect rent rolls on commercial real estate, that eventually affects the loan program too because it's all based on the amount of rent you're getting in during that term of the loan. And so if you start messing with that, that could mess with loans. The right. other thing is, if you're de-incentivizing banks, regional banks, to lend out money, that also slows down development, It slows Mm -hmm. down rehabbing of current rental spaces. Mm -hmm. It slows down a lot on the commercial side. And I think that that's a risk that starts to happen when you see this tightening phase take place by the Federal Reserve as well.
1: Yeah. So I'm hearing there's going to be a a stark difference between residential real estate. So if you want to buy a house, it's not going to be harder to get a mortgage. It's not going to be something that's going to necessarily cost you more because rates may be coming down. Mm -hmm. But on the commercial side, it, it potentially is going to be a night and day difference where it's going to be very difficult to get any sort of financing. And there's a lot of open space, so you're not gonna necessarily be able to get a whole lot of rent for it, right? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I'm saying that's exactly right. The residential and the, you know, primary residence market, that is going to continue to be a market that has an upside in what's going on right now. Because yeah. I hate to say it, but that might be the winning market either way. Yeah. But if they reduce rates, that's easy to figure out why that's a, a winning you know, proposition for them. If they increase rates and they continue down this path, well, we've already seen the resiliency of residential real estate. It hasn't collapsed. I mean, Lord knows everyone's been calling for it. Not everyone, but there's been a lot of people calling for it. And the reality is the thing that we continue to not give enough attention to is the supply and demand curve in real estate. And the fact is, you know, I think our our good friends over at MBS Highway showed us there was like 968,000 homes available in the entire United States. Mm -hmm. Forty percent of those were currently under contract. Mm -hmm. So that roughly gives you just a little bit over 500,000 homes available for purchase. Right. But yet we know that the household demand market is almost 3 million people. right? And so what we're finding out is that the homes are going to continue to hold their value because of supply and demand. And you can make argument, there's pockets in the United States that doesn't hold true to, and I would say there probably are. But we're talking about the majority case here that is supply and demand is going to continue to be an issue. And so if rates come down, well, that demand's not increasing, right? Because the only way to, or excuse me, that demand is uh, not going away, it's only increasing and mm-hmm. supply is not getting better. Mm-hmm. The only way to get that supply better is to build more homes. And That's we just the said
1: there. the loans to, to do that are going away, right? That's exactly right. So yeah. you're talking
0: about the commercial lending problem. And the commercial lending problem doesn't just stop at commercial real estate. It stops at builder loans. Yep. Because when builders need commercial lines to build homes and that market becomes tighter, builders typically go, okay, well, you know, we're going to change our prode- projections. We're going to slow down on the VDLs, the vacant you know lot development, vacant development lots, and we're going to stop going vertical on properties. Mm-hmm. And we'll hit the pause button because we're not going to repeat what we did in 08. And so I think that there's where another challenge lies for that particular uh, inventory issue that we just talked about. I just don't see that getting better. Right. And even if we could stay on the pace of 2021 builds, that was a much greater pace than 22. But if we could stay on that pace, we would need five years just to get caught up. Right. And we're not going to do that. So I think that's why the the – Supply inventory issue is going to continue to be an issue and going to help the residential side continue to grow.
1: Yeah, well, I, it sounds like there's some things we can use there to anticipate what's coming uh, to position ourselves. And uh, ultimately, I know our goal here was just to go over a lot of the basic details of what we're talking about. Because sure. there's a lot of terms thrown around. There's a lot of. Uh, news being talked out there, but I like to look at us as trying to make this easily understandable and accessible to the general public. So
0: Yeah, and we got some things coming out this week that are going to absolutely change and add to what we're talking about with the PCE coming out this week, which is the Federal Reserve's favorite form of inflation. Um, and remember, inflation is a lagging indicator. It's a 12 month lagging indicator. So all yep. the stuff we're getting now is rear view mirror type stuff, but it is how they make their decisions, right? Lord help Jerome, if that number comes out high, wow. what is that man gonna do? <laughs> it's gonna drive him nuts. So anyhow, so we'll stay tuned for that as that comes out this week here. As always, Alex, thanks for being on the show here. Uh, how can we learn more about The Market Distillery?
1: Uh, TheMarketDistillery.com, as well as on Instagram at The Market Distillery, we, uh, we love charts, pretty pictures, data, all that good stuff. But the main focus there is making things easy to understand and, and making things practical. Yeah, man, well,
0: great. I appreciate it. I know you're doing a wonderful job out there. I also follow you online. I think it's great. And if you want to know more about our show, just share this episode. You can share it with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, mm-hmm. also Google. Just recently got put on Amazon, and then we're always on YouTube as well. And then check out our handles at What's Your One More on all platforms. Thanks again for being on the show, Alex. Thanks, Whitney. Yep.
1: I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah.